Which is better, to focus on the interactions between characters or to drive the action of the game with the roll of the dice? Does it matter? Are you into R-O-L-E playing or R-O-L-L playing? If you say the real life ends up your days And you don't have time to play Well, midlife is the best time to start a new role-playing phase And you need a rescue Chase coming at you with a rescue A role-play rescue Chase gonna help my friend Let's sit down the game My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Greetings, rescuers. I hope that you're well, and thank you for taking the time to tune in and listen to this episode. Several times in recent weeks, I've once again noticed a few folk on the tabletop role-playing games community asking an age-old question. Are you more of a role-player or a role-player? They are, of course, invoking a difference between R-O-L-E role-playing and R-O-L-L role-playing. I want to address this issue today and see what I can do to help untangle the knot. Before we go there, though, I've got a whole bunch of great call-ins to catch up on. This is Series 5, Episode 13, Role-Playing versus Role-Playing. Hey Che, Roy here. Just getting started on your series one of Roleplay Rescue. And uh, yeah, really impressed by your mission, enjoying the podcast. You're doing the Lord's work. Wowzers, Roy's entered the room. Hi Roy, thanks for calling in. Great to hear from you. I love getting first time calls. You know that, right? Um, Yeah, dude, the Lord's work, not sure. Uh, I've always felt that actually the gap between my faith and my game hobby was quite a large one but maybe you're right maybe i'm doing something positive um something you know good i don't know but i'd really appreciate your listening back through the battle catalog i know that's something you've done on a lot of shows i look forward to any call-ins that you make yeah welcome to roleplay rescue boy game on man game on jay i was listening to episode 510 of Roleplay Rescue and I I gotta say I love the ideas that you've presented there I don't remember the last time I did a session zero but I think you could possibly do a session zero with every group even one that you've played with for some time the nice thing about it is it really could dial into a game that everybody might enjoy rather than trying to play hit or miss because I think people's I don't want to say their tastes change but I think that a lot of us enjoy so many numerous things that from time to time we'd like to change things up or give something new a try. I think that 
that idea that uh, sort of uh, checkbox sheet that Sir John Timpson came up with. I think that's a great idea. I'd love to see, I'd love to like develop something for people. And along those same lines, I wonder how difficult it would be to develop a rating system for pre-published stuff. I know I know you prefer not to use pre-published stuff, or at least that's the vibe I get. But I'm wondering, because one of the things that I struggled with coming back to the hobby was running games that I didn't have time to prep for, or I didn't really have time to develop so I really, I looked for game modules and I looked for stuff that was familiar to me. Now, that may not have been a good choice, but when you're working with limited time and you're just getting back into the hobby, pre-published adventures are a big help. So I'm wondering if there were some sort of rating system that could be developed using those eight um, qualities. I don't remember what you called them, but those eight ideas, those eight topics, the eight needs of uh, gamers, as well as things like genre and whatever else you had thrown into the mix so that you know you could review a an adventure or a module or a game and give it some sort of rating system based on those eight things it would make it so much easier for people either new to the hobby or getting into the hobby or getting into being a game master to make a decision. Hey, Okshay, Shandy Andy here. Just been listening to your podcast, Eight Types of Fun. Really enjoyed that. Um, it certainly resonated a bit with me. And made, uh, and I'm pretty certain I'm a fellowship discovery type of player. That would be what my guess is. But one thing I'd like to perhaps bring up here is I not always sure that players know what type they are and what another person might think drives one player might not necessarily be what that player thinks so i don't think it's quite as simple as a player you know analyzing and then thinking ah yes i'm that type of player because it's entirely possible that they're wrong just wonder what you thought of that idea the mighty Frank Turfler and Shandy Andy there. Frank Turfler from Frank T's Line Notes and Shandy Andy from Unguarded Trevor. Unguarded Trevor. Unguarded Treasure. My apologies. Right. Brilliant call-ins, guys. Thank you so, so much. Um, I'm going to go backwards. So let's start with Andy. Uh, yes, I absolutely think you're right, which is why in my episode I did say, don't ask players what their engagements are because they don't know. 
that's why I also suggested what you do is you talk to people about the t- best times and the worst times in gaming and use that to deduce what their engagements might be. But, you know, you have to be careful here. You are playing a game of deduction, or is it induction? Mm, I'm sure someone will correct me. Um, anyway, the thing is, players don't really know. I wouldn't necessarily engage people in that conversation, if you'll pardon the pun. I would uh, instead just kind of pay attention to how they play, what they enjoy, what they get big highs out of, what they seem to not enjoy as well is important, and allow that to guide you. So I hope that helps there, Andy. And then, Frank, um, yeah, the rating system for modules, if only. Um, You know, I think doing that by uh, engagement would be really interesting. But again, my warning would be, I don't think players know what engages them. They think they know what engages them. I mean, I used to think I was a big narrative player. And yes, stop laughing. Pick yourself off the chair. Hmm. I've perhaps grown a little bit in my understanding of myself. Um, So... Yeah, I don't know. It would be helpful, I guess, in some ways, but I just don't know whether it would be just more confusing for people if they're new to the hobby. So I'm not sure. But what I do like is the cut of your jib, sir. The cut of your jib. Right, there's another one on this. Let's get to the next call. Hey, Che, this is Ray Otis of Plundergrounds. I really enjoyed your episode on Eight Types of Fun. I thought that was fascinating. I had a bunch of thoughts that came out of that. The first one was about having players rank those in order of most important to least important for themselves because, you know, most of us are subscribed to multiple types of fun off of that list. Um, There may be one that we're focused on or two that we're focused on and some that we don't care about, but there's kind of a continuum, not just an on-off switch on each one of those. So I thought that was interesting. I wondered where simulation fit in, whether that was within the fantasy category, and I had a little trouble um, teasing out the difference uh, in escape versus submission. Um, but uh, overall, I thought they were really great categories. I thought of a ninth, though, uh, that wasn't included in the eight types, and one that's really important to me. The ninth type is the joy of being the facilitator or the host. Um, I grew up in small town America in kind of a nuclear family and I had the traditional experience with grandmothers and uh, mothers who were old school and that they wanted to you know, uh, make amazing spreads of food and host everybody and see family together. And there's a joy in that that I understand greatly when I prepare uh, for a role-playing game session that there's just a joy in getting everybody together and seeing them have fun. It's kind of a vicarious joy. So I'm not sure if that's covered in one of the eight types or whether that's a, a true ninth type, but uh, you can call that the facilitator or the host if you like. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. The legendary Ray Otis. Ray, thanks for calling in. Brilliant. Uh, Ray Otis from Plundergrounds. Yes. Um, okay, let's talk about being the host. Um, for me, um, to be quite honest with you, it just immediately fell in my mind into the fellowship engagement. Um, I, like you, really enjoy when people come around to my place and game. Um, kind of, ho- It's a hominess that I like to kind of generate, even though our place is probably nowhere near as nice as many. Um, but I really do enjoy kind of having people over and doing the whole kind of make yourself at home kind of thing and um yeah for me it just falls into fellowship uh, ray and uh, that's the way i look at it i guess um kind of looking at the mda theory it's kind of broad i mean i think like nitpicking over it is perhaps not something too worthwhile i think they're looking at a broad engagement remember it was originally written for computer gaming and not something necessarily applied to role-playing but i think it does come across quite nicely um so yeah good thought and however you want to categorize it in your mind to be honest with you mate i i personally fellowship 
And then coming on to things like simulation and where that fits in, I don't know, really, to be honest with you. I'm not even sure personally I really buy into that old way of thinking, which is, you know, to me, time appealed, but I've sort of question a lot. But I guess it depends on what you mean in terms of simulation. Um, if you wanted to, I mean, I'm quite, if it's going to put a label on me, it's quite simulationist in a lot of ways, I suppose. And I wonder what he mean in, in terms of, is it just a kind of play style thing like um, where the engagement is about challenge? Do I get simulationist because I want that challenge in my game? I want that sense of realism because I want it to feel like a challenge? I don't know. Or is it something else? Um, is it about the fantasy? Is it about kind of, is it about exploring the world in a more realistic kind of way? I don't know. Uh, honestly but it's great to be thinking about it and I'm really glad that you enjoyed the show um, remember MDA is a theory done by an American university I'm not the mad expert on it I just heard about it and thought it was a great idea um, just on the subject of kind of it being on a spectrum I think you're right I think these engagements I think we all have probably taste of them um, all of them really to some degree or another when I say I'm not very narrative uh, I think that's not true I just don't think it's a primary engagement for me and I think it's lower down my list but I again I wonder whether players are self-aware enough to really know and be able to rank that um, and you know the angry GM when he wrote the thing kind of said don't bother try and do that just again through observation that was my broad sort of hypothesis anyway I don't know but yeah great Ray brilliant stuff game on man Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. And yeah, one of my biggest problems is quickly jumping from rule set to rule set. I can never stick with one. And even my daughter has called me out on it multiple times. How she's annoyed how all we do is do a bunch of like one shots, maybe two, three sessions of something. So my main goal is to just stick with the black hack and osc this coming year that's my main goal and maybe throw in a little 5e here and there but i highly doubt it and if i do it's going to be the essential skip josh beckelheimer jb publishing thanks for calling in man and um, i'm not going to say much on that one just i hear you i kind of know exactly what you mean that's like my worst thing i call it being flaky gm and uh yeah i'm the flakiest of them all thanks for calling in man game on Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here, and um, I love that interview you had with J.E. Shields. Um, good stuff. Um, he's a great guy. I know we, as in the Lone Bards, have used his work in the past, and we recently backed his latest Kickstarter. I forgot which level we did, but anyways, we're, we're excited to get all that and pretty much adapt that stuff into our own work. So yeah, we love we love him. He's a great artist, good guy, um, huge fan, and he will always have the Lone Bard support. Are you into R O L E play or R O L L play? Here's my thesis. This is a false dichotomy. It's not an either-or proposition. Role-playing is something that all tabletop role-players participate in. Making dice rolls is also something that many role-players do. The question is not about either-or. As with so many things in human life, it's a matter that sits upon a spectrum. 
What is role-playing? By which I mean R-O-L-E playing. Role-playing is a process of making a decision in the role that you have adopted. In RPGs, it's making decisions in character. For example, when my thief is outside the rich patron's private mansion, I might decide to have my thief break into that mansion with the intention of stealing valuable items. That decision, and all the associated decisions that come with it, like whether I specify how I go about breaking into the house, those are the acts of role-playing. And I don't know anyone who makes decisions in play based on the roll of a die. Making decisions by the roll of a die was the premise of the novel The Dice Man by Luke Reinhardt, but that's a bit of an outlier. The real power and joy, at least for me, in playing RPGs arises from this ability to make decisions and, as Ray Otis has pointed out before, in being free to try out anything within the context of the world the game is set within. In short, role-playing is about making the choices you want within the world of the game. It's worth mentioning here that in the common parlance of the role-playing games world, many people associate the word role-play with the performance of the role, as in play-acting. Those gamers who enjoy voice-acting are an example of this ilk. This is not, in my definition of role-playing, a necessity. I'm not an actor, and I'm not very comfortable with performing, even to friends. I actually have some pretty ingrained prejudices about performers, which I have worked hard to reduce over time, but that's another story. What I am saying is that role-playing means making decisions, choices, in character. Whether you choose to jazz that up with a cool voice, dressing up, or actually acting out the behaviours is a bonus. What's important is the choice you make within the role. That's playing in role, also known as role-playing. Having said that I don't know anyone who makes decisions in play based on the role of a die, I do know that I like to use dice to help adjudicate the uncertainties that arise from players role-playing. In other words, many gamers enjoy using dice to help work out the outcome of a player decision. Oh, you decide to smash the window to gain access to the house. Well, that's probably an automatic success, but I wonder if anyone is alerted to your break-in by the noise. Let's roll some dice to find out if anyone comes to investigate. Let's say that you alert the security guard on a 12 or less on 3d6. Of course, if there was a burglar alarm on the window, I don't need to roll because I know the alarm will be sounding. In that case, maybe the question is how long it takes for the guards to arrive. Shall we say 1d6 minutes? You get the idea. Dice are an adjudication tool. In fact, dice are a pretty elegant and efficient adjudication tool. You can set a level of probability and then test the chance of that probability being triggered. Dice can also offer a degree of success or failure, which can give an elegant and simple means to judge how well or how badly the situation turned out. Dice are, therefore, a pretty common feature of role-playing games because they help us to work out what happens in an uncertain and important moment within the emerging story. All well and good. So, are you a role-player or a role-player? The question seems pretty meaningless to me. Am I someone who makes decisions in character or who likes to use dice to decide how the character acts? Clearly, most of us would opt for making decisions. That's kind of the point of a role-playing game. I imagine that the question, if we get past the false dichotomy, is really calling out a stylistic issue. Are you someone who prefers for players to have complete and unfettered agency without interference from random die rolls? Or are you someone who prefers some degree of interference 
to the best played plans of the players, which is created by the roll of the dice. This sits at the heart of questions relating to player agency and the role, pardon the pun, of dice in the game. We are playing a role-playing game when we are free to make any choice we want within the context of the fictional world. That's why I don't consider those fighting fantasy game books, the choose-your-own-adventure games, to be genuine role-playing games. Yes, you are making choices in the game, but you can't make any choice. Your agency is limited to choosing between the options offered to you. Most RPG referees would allow their players slightly more agency. Most of us would probably give the players the freedom to choose how to deal with each situation they find themselves in. A referee who offered a limited menu of choices would probably not be very popular with players. You want to break into the house? Okay, well you can either break the window or try to pick the lock on the door. Hmm. What if I want to climb up to the roof and shin down the chimney? Hopefully you can take my point. For the purposes of this discussion, we don't really need to consider greater levels of agency, although we could. Questions on which situations the players choose to get into, or questions around the agency uh, they have in choosing the goal of the game, they're not of primary concern here. And thus, the question, it seems to me, is whether it's better to play the game by referee fiat, group consensus, or the use of dice. My thesis is that it depends on the situation, but that said... Let's consider the pros and cons of each approach. This is, after all, the heart of the question. Right then, referee fiat, group consensus, or the role of the dice. You could play the game entirely by having the players make decisions and the referee deciding if each action succeeds or fails. The upside of this is that the fiction would be continuous and there would be little need for any mechanisms to intrude on the play of the game. In short, play would almost certainly be quicker. Example, my thief decides to pick the lock. The referee decides that, as is an experienced thief character, that yes, he can pick the lock. Click. I've unlocked the door. Or, the referee could decide that the lock is too difficult for me to pick, and so, no, I can't pick the lock. GM Fiat. Simple. But what are the downsides? Well, honestly, if the situation has high enough stakes, then I might feel that the referee's decision is unfair. What do you mean I can't pick the lock? I'm a thief. I should be able to pick the lock. This is where role-playing games risk devolving into the kind of arguments that used to happen when I played war as a kid. Bang! You're dead! No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You know the kind of thing. I suspect that this is largely uncontroversial. The question is how to handle those higher stakes moments. In most games, the referee probably simply rules one way or the other a rather invisibly large amount of the time. You cross the road. You go into the cafe. You order coffee. In fact, in general, it's probably fine to say yes to the actions of the characters and by extension to the decisions of the players whenever it's not particularly interesting or when the likely outcome doesn't have a big enough risk involved. So why not just talk it out as a group and agree on a consensus? You could do that. A lot of tables include this approach to adjudication. What do you think, guys? Does the thief scale that sheer wall? I've certainly done that during a game myself. 
Again, I tend to feel that if I don't know what should be the most likely outcome, then I am happy to take that consensus. I think I do this most often when someone at the table has knowledge or expertise that I don't. One memorable example was asking the doctor at the table questions about dead bodies and the information learnable without a forensics lab. The group heard his view and then we agreed the likely level of info that a character gleaned from the examination of the body. The advantage of this is that it includes the players in the decision-making process. That tends to mitigate the adversarial possibilities of a referee fiat and it increases the players buy into the scene and that's often a good thing. However, the risk is that the players gang up on the referee when the stakes become high enough to matter. Again, this is generally most obvious in life or death situations. An example. The party is crossing a dodgy rope bridge over a chasm. The referee decides that over a certain load, the bridge will break. They've even decided that first one side will break, leaving a vertically orientated net, and then after one minute, the bridge's second rope will snap and swing anything on it to the far side rock face. Splat! Okay, so that's the setup. The party lacks caution and it piles onto the bridge. How do you adjudicate it? The referee using fiat rules that the bridge breaks. All the non-thief class characters fall to their death. After one minute, the thief characters will splat into the far wall and be killed. Without dice, we're going to need to decide their fate. Maybe you decide differently. I might opt for everyone grabbing the rope as the first side of the bridge gives away. I might then allow one minute of actions to escape. When the second side of the bridge gives, they are screwed. But honestly, this is not a situation I'd want to adjudicate by fiat. Let's bring it to the player group. I'd say that most players would not want their characters to die. Actually, I don't either. Thus, the chances are we'll explain away the consequences of the bridge breaking. Now, with a creative bunch of players, we'll probably narrate an interesting explanation. But let's be honest, the situation is somewhat robbed of its drama. There is no risk of failure. There is no chance of death. And in my book, that means the game is diminished. And that, for me, is the problem with not using a randomizer. But at this point, we need to consider that there's a third option that doesn't use dice. And it is best exemplified by the Amber Diceless Roleplaying System. We can invent some kind of game mechanism that allows the players to trade something in return for getting their own way. In most role-playing games, those which still use dice, this takes the form of hero points or some other token. You pay a cost and then receive a more favourable outcome. Fair enough. The upside is that we have introduced another set of decisions to our game. Do you spend the points now or do you accept the negative consequence? That's interesting in a lot of situations. And when you run out of points, well, then you are at the mercy of the referee's fiat. Okay. In my experience, however, this can be frustrating for players who run out of points. It's all well and good to pay for what you want, but conversely, it feels a lot like the referee is getting what they want at other times. And it can feel like the referee wants to kill your character. Some folk don't like that adversarial implication. Anyway, let's come back to the dice. I could use the dice to help me adjudicate the situation. I believe that the use of dice can add a great richness to the situation I outlined a moment ago. For starters, I would assign a chance that the rope bridge breaks based on the weight crossing it. Perhaps the bridge breaks on a 3d6 roll of 6 or less for anything over £200. 
and on a nine or less when you get to 300 pounds of weight and at 12 or less above say 500 pounds. Secondly, you could randomize the time between the first rope breaking and the second rope snapping, say 1d6 minutes. Thirdly, you could give the characters a chance to hang on when the bridge snaps. Yes, we need to add some mechanisms to the game, but those mechanisms do two big things. One, dice create an element of uncertainty to the game, the element of luck, if you will. Two, dice take the onus off the referee and the players. The outcome is placed upon the roll of a dice. Yes, stopping to roll the dice interrupts the flow of the emerging narrative and slows the game. But on the other hand, the game gains a greater degree of uncertainty. The referee can be surprised just as much as the players, and if we allow it, we can leave space for disastrous outcomes. In the example I gave, we can randomise not only the chance of falling, but also the amount of injury inflicted. It depends on what we want. Again, I might simply decide that a falling character will die once they plummet into the chasm. But I could, if I wanted, invoke, I don't know, say, 10d6 damage and apply it to the character's health. Of course, for each element of randomness I want to add, I probably also need to add more detail to the character sheet. I might feel that I want to know how dexterous the characters are when I test their ability to hold on to the collapsing bridge, and I might desire for there to be some kind of hit points mechanism to help adjudicate damage from injury, but that's outside the scope of this particular discussion. In short, I put it to you that rolling dice to adjudicate the more critical, high-stakes, risky and dangerous decisions that the players make for their characters, that adds interest and richness to the emerging story. Thus, I propose that we should all be willing to consider rolling dice in our role-playing games. Which is better, adjudicating by fiat or consensus, or adjudicating by rolling dice? That depends. As I said earlier, the decision of what's right for you and your table depends on where you wish to sit upon a spectrum between total fiat and rolling for everything. When people ask if I'm an R-O-L-E player or an R-O-L-L player, I usually understand them to be inquiring as to where I sit upon that very spectrum. They aren't asking about R-O-L-E playing, though. They are asking whether I prefer to adjudicate by fiat or by die roll. And my answer to that is simple. It depends on the situation. The angry GM suggests that if, given enough time, the characters will succeed, then I might as well just rule that they succeed. Picking locks is his classic example. Either you have the skill to pick the lock, or you don't. Let's not delay the game with repeated attempts to test your lock-picking skill with the roll of the dice. Rather, you succeed, and it takes you a representative period of time. Of course, this approach requires you to care about the consequences of using lots of time. Otherwise, it's just simply saying, yes, you succeed most of the time. And I'm rather drawn to the approach. I have two exceptions. Firstly, sometimes it's interesting to see if the lock picker gets interrupted by the guards. This is when the time taken matters. Secondly, is when there's some other negative consequence of not getting the lock picking done the first time. Here, of course, I am using lockpicking as a type to illustrate a general point. The RPG Traveller has a nice mechanism that I can recommend. In short, the time taken on a task is randomised to a 1d6 die roll. The time spent is 1d6 times a given length of time. Thus, lockpicking might take 1d6 seconds or even 1d6 minutes. 
fixing a grav vehicle might take 1d6 hours. You get the idea. I like this because I can replace the roll to see if they succeed with a roll of how long it takes, or I can have them roll to see how well they do and rule that success first time takes less time. Our imaginary lock might be picked in 1d6 seconds if you succeed, but 1d6 minutes if you fail. This feels quite elegant. Another useful mechanism is the idea of a timer. Most folk listening might be familiar with this idea from the Index Card RPG, aka IC RPG, but I first came across it when I read the What's Old is New RPG, Woin. I have decided to add this to my GM's toolbox. In short, you set up a timer with a number of D6 and you roll them each time an increment of time passes. You also decide whether it's a fast, medium or slow timer by assigning a target of 4+, plus, 5+, plus, or 6+, plus to the roll of the dice. Thus, on a fast timer, you roll the dice and remove any of those dice rolled on a score of 4 or more. And when you run out of dice, the timer goes off and you introduce the consequence. If you want to slow the timer, well, you have it basically remove dice on a 5 or more or a 6 or more. In my example, we could set a timer on lockpicking and have the guards discover the thief when the timer goes off. It's a pretty neat mechanism for certain situations. But anyway, I do digress. I prefer to roll dice when there's a reasonably interesting consequence for failure and there's an interesting consequence for success. If I can't think of either side of that equation, I try to avoid using dice. If I can think of an interesting consequence for success, then I am tempted to let them succeed, because that's interesting. And if there's nothing interesting from failing, that's certainly a good adjudication, because it favours what's interesting for the emerging story. The converse is equally true. If there's an interesting consequence to failing, and nothing remarkable about success, then they should fail. But, if there are two or more interesting outcomes, then I would prefer to roll the dice. And there are two points I'd like to add. It's worth noting that I consider character death to be an interesting outcome in certain situations. On the bridge, I am happy to encourage caution and penalise recklessness by allowing the possibility of death. You may feel differently, and that is absolutely fine. Just bear in mind that the risk of death is something that makes the game richer for many players. This is a useful session zero type of thing to discuss. It's also worth considering that pass-fail is not the only possibility. Sometimes there are degrees of success or failure, and game mechanisms that can offer you a relative degree of outcome can provide you with more possible consequences from those situations. Interaction scenes are a useful example of this. The question of how well you persuade the target NPC is interesting to me. Yes, we could just decide that you convince the guard to let you into the castle, we can equally decide that you don't. We might even decide this purely on how well you, the player, perform that interaction. Yes, I mean in terms of your play acting. This is a valid choice, but it's not one that I would choose. It's not just that I don't much enjoy play acting. Actually, rolling the dice can tell me how convincing your character was in that persuasion. I can modify the chance of success to take into account your performance and cool voice, but I still want to roll the dice because that's more interesting. It's not just pass or fail. And that, I think, is quite enough of that for now. Rescue! Okay, so that's my take on role-playing versus role-playing. Let's summarise my thesis. Role-playing versus role-playing is a false dichotomy. 
It's not an either-or proposition. Role-playing is something that all tabletop role-players participate in. Making dice rolls is also something that many role-players take part in. The question is not about either-or. As with so many things in life, it's a matter that sits on a spectrum. Dice create an element of uncertainty to the game, the element of luck. Dice can also take the onus off the referee and the players. The outcome is placed upon the roll of the dice. This can be exciting and interesting, raising the stakes of the game and placing the story into an emergent frame. Personally, I enjoy both. I am hugely into role-playing, by which I mean that I am hugely into players having maximum agency to make any choice they want within the context of the game world. And I am also big into using dice to help adjudicate the outcomes of those decisions. Where we might disagree will be around how often we roll the dice and the degree to which we need to define the character numerically as opposed to descriptively to utilise the dice in the game. And that, my friends, is another conversation altogether. Anyway, I hope you found the discussion helpful. Game on. Rescue! Right, that's the lot. Thanks to everyone who called in today. Really appreciate it. Can't do the show without you. Thank you. Thank you once again to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through their generosity on Patreon. The money helps me to fund various elements like the music produced by TDA Drennan and the upkeep of my blog. But thank you, all of you. Finally, thank you to you, the listener, for taking a little time out of your day to listen. I hope that I've fulfilled my core mission of encouraging you all to regularly play imaginative games and to play in a way that suits you better. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.